Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD for February 5th, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is JC Peretz, founder of All Star Charts. Thanks for being here, JC. Of course, happy to do it. Thanks for having me, Arusha. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current markets, the importance of managing your risk and going with the trend, and then we will end the episode with a few current ideas. So let's get into the current market. The market is in an uptrend, uh, but we've had collected some distribution days, four distribution days on the NASDAQ, five on the S&P 500. Leading stocks, they continue to hang in there. Uh, JC, what are your thoughts on the market? Well, here we are coming into February. Um, you know, we were pretty much flat as far as U.S. equities were concerned uh, for the month of January or slightly down, depending on what index you're using. Um, but, you know, not a super strong January. Anyway, didn't finish strong. Right. Um, so that 10 historically, it's not the greatest of signs for the overall market, but we can call it we could just maybe dismiss it and, and call it a rounding error maybe january wasn't completely down i think the bigger there, there's a lot of things really going on i think the fact that we are getting wider ranges uh in in daily swings mm -hmm. uh, big moves to the downside bigger moves to the upside uh those things we haven't seen in a long time and you know i've got uh, a few more gray hairs today <laughs> than, than i once did in my career and some of those are for ignoring uh, when we're seeing things that we haven't seen in a while. So, and and JC, uh, let, let me stop you there for one second. Let's just go over, for those who are newer, uh, the importance of wider ranges and, and what that signifies. You know, listen, when, when things are just boring and grinding higher, like we saw throughout October and November and December, for that matter, yeah. um, you know, th that's evidence of low volatility, rising markets, a ton of sector rotation, more and more different stocks and sectors making new highs. You know, then when you start to get some volatility after a move like that, I got to tell you, Arusha, um, it, 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 these, again, things we haven't seen in a while. And then we're also getting rotation into the bond market right. and seeing strength there. So when you start to see volatility picking up, you start to see rotation into some of the more safe haven assets. You know, to me, it seems as entering February, it seems wise, it has seemed for the last couple of weeks to be smaller uh, whenever in doubt just get smaller and that just you know there's times to to go out there be aggressive and make money and there's times to be less aggressive and keep the money that we have and it just seems like uh, the current market environment the weight of the evidence is pointing to the latter yeah and and not to mention we're also in earnings season and, and that's going to probably give you a few more gray hairs Always, you know, I mean, that's really where position sizing comes in, where, you know, uh, an earnings report is not going to kill your portfolio, uh, position sizing, diversification. I mean, if you're if you're so big uh, that an earnings move is going to, you know, either kill you or make you, you're probably just too big. Right. right. And that's right. in any environment that not just right now, but right now, especially based on what we're seeing from a global macro standpoint. And again, it's not just what we're seeing in the United States. It's not just what we're seeing in U.S. bonds. We're really seeing it globally. You know, the Euro stocks 50 stuck underneath overhead supply. Mm -hmm. German DAX stuck underneath overhead supply from last year's highs. Interest rates looking vulnerable. You know, the U.S. 10-year yield, when you look down to that 1.3, 1.4 level that we bottomed out in 2012, we also bottomed out there in 2016. We also bottomed out there a couple of years ago. You know, is, is, is now we're getting a fourth test. You know, and the way I learned it and the way my experience has really 
um, you know, taught me is that the more times a level is tested, Arusha, the higher the likelihood that it's going to break. Right. And if interest rates are breaking to new lows here in the United States, I cannot imagine that happening in, a, in an environment that stocks are ripping higher. Uh, I think that's probably happening in an environment that bonds are ripping higher and uh, risk is coming off uh, risk assets like stocks. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, so, so there could be more of that rotation to the, the safe haven. So in the end, you want to make sure you keep all of this uh, in, in the back of your mind, but you're, you're looking at your stocks, managing your risk, and, and letting the, the stocks and market tell you what to do. Yeah, 100%. And I think there's a few levels. First of all, the Dow Jones transportation average has to be above 11,100 until we can actually uh, uh, prove that there's an overwhelming amount of demand and supply near those levels. And that has been a struggle for a long time. Remember, yeah. the Dow Jones industrial average has been making all-time highs for a while now. Yes. The transports have not. Yep. So, And we got rejected hard last month at that same 11,100 level. So until we can clear that, I think it's tough. Uh, the XLF, the financials index, Arguably the most important index on planet Earth, uh, 31. That was the high, the XLF, that was the high in 2007 before the collapse. That was also the high in 2015. That was also the high the last two years. So we're still not through that. We're flirting with it again. Um, so I think uh, to be really optimistic about this market, I think you need to see transports above 11,100. I think you need to see XLF. Uh, above 31 and I'll give you one more I, I want to point you to the global 100 index uh, that 55 level is really really important uh, that's the level that we want to be watching closely so those are really three key indexes uh, that for us to be bigger if you will and be more aggressive from the long side uh, we want to be above those levels in those three indexes excellent Thanks. oh and one more oh, yeah and one more Arusha sorry uh, the Russell 2000, oh my God, that might be the most important one. 169 on the IWM. That's the Russell 2000 Index ETF, IWM. That's where things really started falling apart at the beginning of October of 2018, if you recall. And yep. we came all the way back to that level, basically <laughs> filled that gap, and are now struggling below it. So 169 on the IWM, add that to the list. Uh, we got to be above all those levels for me to really be back to that you know, aggressively bullish approach that we had uh, throughout the fourth quarter. Yeah, the IWM, I think out of all of those, that, that probably disappointed me the most because it, when it started to get finally get past the 160 level, it's like, okay, maybe this is finally, the small caps are going to finally get back in this more speculation. And then it just kind of started to sputter out over the last few weeks again. Yeah, and listen, it might, we might just rip right through that 169 and off to the races. We're right. off to the 170s, all-time highs, and everything's both hunky and dory. I mean, that, <laughs> that could very well happen. Right. Um, I just uh, I, I need to see it first. Exactly, <laughs> and, and, and that is the key lesson for, for everyone out there. You Let the markets, let these, uh, these sectors and ETFs tell you what to do. Don't predict interpret the market so jc obviously you have a ton of passion uh for this w walk us through how you got into this how you got started you know it was really uh i, I found technical analysis really by necessity uh nothing else out there seemed to work and um you know if we are if, if the only way we're going to make money is by selling things at a higher level than where we buy them and not necessarily in that order um you know i i don't understand why the 
the process shouldn't begin and end with the study of price, right? Only mm -hmm. price pays. So all of the reasoning why something's moving, you know, I leave that to the glorified gossip columnists, you know, let them make up reasons why something's moving on a given day. And even worse, people listening to those people making up reasons. I mean, it's just a horrible uh, sort of cycle that people fall, them, you know, get into, yep. you know, this whole w trying to discover why no one in the history of the stock market has ever made a penny knowing why or thinking they know why even worse. Right. It right. really doesn't matter. So I think that 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 re that real approach, right, instead of the hypothetical, the theoretical, academic and fundamental research, the only people analyzing what's real are technical analysts, right? right? The only thing that we can trust is price. That cannot be argued. It will never be restated. You know, earnings estimates are just that. They're earnings estimates. You know, people are like, oh, uh, you know, Amazon missed earnings. No, the analysts are the ones who missed it, right? That's so true. These That's are opinions. True. You know, what a CEO says, he could be wrong or she could be wrong yeah. or they could be just lying, right, maliciously. We don't know. Um, so they're not trustworthy. The only thing that will never be restated, what is fact, is that there were there was a willing buyer and a willing seller to make a transaction at a specific price at a specific time. That will never be restated. So if we analyze those market trends, we're going to be on the right side of those trends. And I know I'm preaching in the choir talking to you. Yeah. But if, if, you know, if we're on the right side of the trends, our, the probabilities of success are going to be much higher. And that's really what attracted me to technical analysis. And that was about a decade and a half ago. Yeah. And, and, and then you also earned your charter market technician de uh, designation. Uh, yeah, and and you're, you're heavily involved in that organiz organization, too. Talk about good timing, Arusha. I mean, listen, my timing has not always been uh, great. I mean, I'm, I'm Cuban, so we always get to places late. My timing's <laughs> not always great. But I completed the CMT uh, program uh, in the beginning of 2008. So you want to talk about, <laughs> you know, at least being more prepared than most people right. for that. I mean, I can't tell you it was the easiest time for me, but, man, at least I knew, like, what questions to ask and That's what to true. look for. And fortunately, I had some success uh, that year. So, and I'm, you know, fortunately the right people were around me at the time to recognize some of the successes that I had. And that certainly helped my career, particularly then. And really to this day, uh, some of the success we had that particular year, not to mention all of the lessons that I learned, man, because without the CMT designation, I would not have had as good of an experience as I would have in 2008 in terms of learning. Right. I would have been less aware of things going on, right? But the fact yep. that I, I at least had the toolkit to be aware and, and be able to learn from what was happening as opposed to going in there blindly, like most people, you know, I think that the learning experiences alone from 2008 uh, have really helped me not to mention uh, keep me humble, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is that in 2000 were, were the greatest learning lessons for me because it, the, the, the environments don't get that, uh, that much more extreme than that, right? Th those are the worst case scenarios that you're ever going to see. You know, I think, Arusha, I think everybody has different uh, life experiences. And I think that everybody has to learn lessons, you know, in my opinion, the hard way. But yes. we have to learn these lessons and everyone's going to learn them in different ways, you know, uh, and and because of certain successes, you know, you're going to make new errors. You know, for example, I had some successes in 08. So now all of a sudden it's 2010, 2011, 2012. I, I, I had some success in 08, so I want to I be the guy that's going to call the next big one, yes. right? The next big collapse. It's coming. And, and, and to be honest with you, that was me in 2013. I, I thought 
you know, as the S&P is breaking out to new all-time highs, I was not a believer. I'm like, nope, this thing's going to roll over. This is not – and I was fighting that trend. Transports yes. start breaking out. I'm literally fighting the trend for absolutely no reason just because I wanted to be that guy, that mean reversion guy that we're going to roll over again. It's going to be 08, 09 all over again. And I had to learn the lesson the hard way that no, 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 this is a once-in-a-century in a storm – the, the next one is not right around the corner, quite the opposite. We just got it, so now let's move forward. Yep. And that has, that year really helped me. And that was, what, seven years ago? That year really helped me uh, I focus on trends and err in the direction of trends because that, especially early that year, I was not doing that, uh, and it hurt me. And that was a lesson that, man, really, really helps me. So just completely different years. 2013 and, and 2008 could not be more different. Yet, man, very, very valuable lessons from both. So the market continues to hang in there, but it is getting a little bit more volatile. So make sure you are managing your risk. Let's take a quick break. But when we return, we are going to talk about more lessons uh, that JC has learned over the years, including the importance of managing risk and also not to fight the trend. Stay tuned. Hey, Arusha here with a big announcement. We have launched a brand new interactive video broadcast called IBD Live. IBD Live takes you behind the curtain to see how professionals trade. Log on and watch live as IBD's analysts and portfolio managers follow the first hour of market action and pick winning stocks. You get to listen to our conversations, see our screens, and ask us questions all in real time. If you've ever wanted to trade alongside a team of experts, this is your chance. Go to Investors.com slash IBD Live and sign up to get your first two weeks for free. JC Peretz is our guest on Investing with IBD. Okay, JC, let's get into some more lessons that you've learned over the years. And one of them was about managing risk. And then we'll get in a little bit more lessons on, on fighting the trend, too. But let's start off with the managing the risk and how you learned this lesson the hard way. Well, I feel like you got to learn the lesson the, the hard way a few times yep. before you really, really get it. Um, you know, and, and you talk to any successful trader or investor and they're going to have war stories uh, and, and terrible, terrible stories, multiple <laughs> right. ones on how they learned uh, tough lessons. I mean, I have post-traumatic stress disorder myself when it comes to certain <laughs> asset classes. I think uh, you chuckle because you probably do too. Absolutely. Um, but w when I hear the word uranium, you know, my blood pressure starts rising. <laughs> so I think it was back in 2010, I caught the uranium bug and I'm like, all right, you know, this is the next, uh, this is, this is it where, you know, I, I got on board. I was very diversified. Yep. I was long the uranium ETF. I was long CCJ, which is like the big uh, blue chip quote unquote, uh, of the group. I was long like uh, one of the little guys like UEC, one of the small caps. So I was diversified. Right? <laughs> yes, <I> had, exactly. <laughs> so I had a little bit of all the uranium and, um, you know, it started working and I, you know, I'm thinking I'm the next Warren Buffett. I just discovered this new energy, right. And, uh, you know, the, the new ETF had just launched. So, you know, that's, that's usually such a great sign. And, um, all of a sudden, uh, earthquake uh, out in the Pacific, the Fukushima uh, disaster. Uh, I don't know if you remember. I, I sure clearly remember that. Yeah. Yep. So I think you know I, I I came in the morning. All these things are down twenty percent overnight. Just getting yeah. killed. 
And I'm like, oh, no, don't worry. This is just because of the earthquake. It'll come back. Right. And then, like, I don't know, the weekend passed. And then I think, like, another nuclear reactor exploded. I think it just got worse. Yep. And then fast forward a decade later almost, and uh, these things are still nowhere near those eyes. So <laughs> they never came back, is the yeah. long story short. Um, so, you know, what did I learn? Uh, I was proven wrong, and um, I, I should have immediately gotten out. When the market proves your thesis wrong, Yes. Like, stop trying to, like, if, you know, if I could yell at myself, I'm yelling at my at my former self here. Right. You know, you idiot, get out. Like, <laughs> the market doesn't care that you think it's just because of an earthquake. You know, like, you're wrong. The market proved you wrong. Get out um, and, and ask questions later because you can always get back in. Yep. And and so these days, before you get into a trade, you're, you're planning your exit strategies to both sides, right? Got to because we're crazy. Yes. You know, Arusha, yes. like – we're like we're not built to be good investors quite the opposite right yep and and when our stress levels are elevated we revert to those evolutionary traits and nothing could be worse when making investment decisions so in order to eliminate that craziness in between our ears uh if you are you know as, as peter brandt says it out in colorado he says i'm not a trader i'm an order enterer Right, because he yeah. he just sets Beautiful. his stops and he sets his exits and yeah. he just lets the market do what it does. Yeah, that, I mean that is the best way to do it. You you, you want to be a robot, right? Remove all that emotion, uh, really plan for every scenario that could happen, and then have a have the 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 strategy to execute. What's difficult and what I think is really important to remember is that we can't just eliminate the emotions, yes. right? That's just not That's a great point. Biologically possible, right? We can't. But what, what we can do is recognize those emotions when they arrive and choose to not act on those emotions. Mm -hmm. But the emotions themselves aren't going away. Right. I mean, unless you unless there's like something that you know that I don't, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we're stuck with those evolutionary traits throughout our lifetimes. Yes, you just become more aware of them. And, and as a result, you know, experience can, a lot of times will teach you this. It's, it, you, you can handle it better because you've gotten through and survived some other episodes that were very similar. I got the gray hairs coming out of my chin uh, to prove it. <laughs> yeah, sure. you, you and you and me both. You and me both. Uh, so let's let's get back into uh, the importance of not fighting an uptrend because uh, you, you spoke about that 2013 example. Do you have any other uh, kind of examples like that? Even just on a, a successful on the successful side where you learned the lesson, then you applied it a little bit later because. These trends continue – they, they go a lot further than, than we can imagine most of the times. No question. And I, I think one important topic that I think it's maybe lost is, is the, 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 the conversation about market breath and yes. the whole theory behind market breath or the reality behind market breath, depending on who you ask, is that – this is a market of stocks, right? Like mm -hmm. we talk about, hey, what the market do today? What the Dow do today? Trade S&P futures, you know, uh, the spoos, the, the Qs, right? Like we talk about those things and they are things, but the Qs have 100 stocks in them. The S&P 500 has 500 stocks. The Russell 2000 has 2,000 stocks. This is a market of stocks, right? Mm -hmm. So when you go to the doctor's office because you're sick, he's not going to look at you and be like, oh, look at nice red shirt. It must be your kidneys. You know, no, he's got to like look inside you and see what's wrong with you and, right. you know, use a stethoscope or whatever it is doctors do. You know, you go to the uh, the auto mechanic and, you know, something's wrong with your car. He's not going to look at your car and be like, oh, nice convertible. It must be the transmission. Right. You know, you got to op open the hood and see what's going on inside. So I think with with respects to market breadth is the same thing. And, and as stocks are making the indexes themselves, 
themselves are making new highs. You want to see an expansion of stocks and sectors and indexes around the world also making new highs. You want to see more and more. You want to see the list growing, not the list getting smaller. Right. And so what, what people, I think, I think skip is the process of breath improvement. In other words, they're saying, oh, well, we didn't get a, a, an expansion of new 52-week highs this week. That must be a breath diversion, short everything. Yes. Like, no, the, the breath doesn't begin and end with the new 52-week high list. That's sort of like the end of breath improvement. But there are breath improvements on the way there. So, for example, the 63-day high list might be expanding, right? And, the, and ultimately, that will show up on the 52-week high list. But there's a process of breath improvement and breath confirmation that I think gets forgotten. I think people are very quick to, to jump the gun calling for a breath divergence, short everything, number one. Number two, remember that that any divergence, breath or momentum or anything that we're looking at, can last for a long time, right? We can yes. see these divergence per, divergences persist uh, in breath, in momentum. Uh, when you talk about uh, U.S. versus globally, I think 2018 was a great ex uh, 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 example as the S&P and the Dow made new highs into the early fourth quarter, you know, global markets were nowhere to be found. But that divergence lasted almost like nine months or something like right. that. So it could take a long time before the markets finally react to those divergences. Yeah, and, and uh, you've, you've spoken about a, a lot of really key concepts here. Now, what one thing is is not going all or none. Right. If you just have that divergence, you don't immediately short it. Maybe you lighten up. Maybe you start to gradually adjust and then wait for more evidence. Same thing with what's going on right now. You don't necessarily have this huge broad based rally, but there are a bunch of stocks that are still working pretty well. And they're also kind of upending a lot of things, too, that people always expect rotation. But a lot of the same stocks that did well a couple of years ago, they're doing well again now. A lot of the large cap tech stocks and, and things like that, they, they continue to do well as they did uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, no question. And and I think that this and Arusha, I think you probably have caught yourself in this situation as well, simply by the way you were trained in a similar way as me. You know, it's very easily for, easy for guys, especially like you and myself, mm -hmm. to overthink things, particularly yes. from an intermarket standpoint, right? Yep. Like yep. if we're seeing this, it's like, well, if the bond market's doing this and the dollar's doing that and rates are doing this and then gold is going to do that, we should buy soybeans, you know, right. like you're like right. on the sixth derivative. Yeah. Like when you could just like, if you like bonds, just buy bonds. Right. Like you don't have to like think things, you know, right? You feel me? You yeah. yeah it, it, everyone <laughs> wants to overcomplicate things. Right. Yeah, you you yeah. have everyone feels like they have to be sophisticated when a lot of times in the market, simplicity is, is the right answer. If the trades in front of you and the risk is well defined, like, why do you need to trade a third derivative of it and be like, yes. well, then the dollar's going to do this and gold's going to do this and we're buying platinum. Right. You know, like right. if you like bonds, just buy the bonds. Yeah. You know, if you don't like stocks, short the stocks. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's a great lesson that I definitely learned the hard way. No, that that that's very, very true. So always make sure you're managing your risk. And remember, the trend is your friend. Be flexible and also be aware enough that you want to keep it as simple as possible. Coming up next, we are going to discuss a number of ideas that are worth looking into. We'll be back. Want to find stocks like the ones on this podcast? 
A lot of the best names we talk about come from IBD's exclusive stock lists, like the IBD 50 and the Big Cap 20. Whatever type of investor you are, we got a list for you. You can access every one of IBD's lists, plus stock ratings, exclusive analysis, and one-on-one -on -one coaching with a membership to IBD Digital. It costs less than a dollar a day, but for podcast listeners, we're offering an even better price. Go to investors.com slash podcast offer right now and get your first two months for only $20. We are back with JC Peretz. Okay, JC, let's get into some current ideas and what's going on in the current environment right now. And let's start off with the European banks, and and we, we'll take a look at the the ETF EUFN. Well, what what are you seeing here? You know, for me, part of the reason that we were so bullish uh, coming out of the summer was because European banks stopped going down. Yeah. Right? That was like a, a big reason to not be bullish throughout, you know, through through throughout 2018, particularly the end was just, you know, European banks are just like crashing. So it's like step one to getting bullish again and getting long is first of all, European banks have to stop crashing. So they did that. So that was a big reason uh, why we were so bullish coming out of the summer. And, and European banks did great. But now we're back up to last year's highs. We're stuck under this like 1950, 20 bucks level yeah. for EUFN. And quite frankly, I'm not necessarily saying that we can't break out. I think I think we actually do ultimately. I just think for right now, it's going to be tough. And I think for right now, European banks are probably going to be stuck in a grind. And we can't have a conversation about European banks, uh, of course, without talking about the poster child uh, Deutsche Bank. And, um, you know, for me... This 950, nine and a quarter, 950 level in Deutsche Bank is a big one. Again, one of the reasons why we were so bullish coming out of the summer equities in general, Deutsche Bank stopped crashing. It put in a failed breakdown, uh, bullish momentum divergence in July. I mean, all the things you need uh, to, to not be bearish, uh, Deutsche Bank was doing. So that's definitely something I'd point out. And then just to finish off the conversation with the European banks, a big one, a really, really important one is what we're seeing in German DAX. Uh, if you guys listening at home, pull up a chart of German DAX. Really what you're going to see is is a problem, right? We're stuck beneath overhead supply from last year. In other words, if you're looking at the German DAX, the DAXX or the DAX, depending on your, your software, mm -hmm. those 2017 highs, which were really the highs from the end of last year, we're still not through that level. Right. So call yeah. it what, 13,600 or so, you know, if we're below those 2017 highs, you know, it's tough. It's really, really hard for me to be aggressively bullish of Europe or European banks. You can even make the same argument. Uh, look at the HEDJ, which is the hedged Europe uh, ETF and 67 and a half is that level there. If we're below 67 and a half, I think that's a big, big problem uh, for Europe and European banks, 67 and a half on the HEDJ. If we're above that, I think that there's a higher probability outcome that Europe, German DAX, Deutsche Bank all ultimately break out. But if we're stuck below 67 and a half in HEDJ, uh, I think it's going to take a lot more time than uh, than most people realize. Yeah, we're we're definitely at a critical level for the HEDJ. Now, now one thing that when when I've, I've seen you speak at other places, you keep it very very simple. You like smiley faces, right? And and uh, and if there are frowns on the charts, that then you want to stay away. Walk through that concept a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, you want to buy smiley faces and you want to sell frowny faces, right? right? And that's just a very <laughs> 
easy, you know, talk about technical analysis to a fourth grader, yeah. you know, sort of mentality. What what is a smiley face? It's 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 evidence of accumulation is mm -hmm. what it is, right? So if, if there's evidence of accumulation, that means that institutions are accumulating, and you want to be buying things that institutions are accumulating, right? Right. Uh, and then frowny faces are really just distribution patterns, right? This is evidence of institutional distribution. Now, do you want to be buying stocks that institutions are distributing to you? No, you want to be <laughs> selling those things along with them. So that's really what it's about. And, you know, you could, we can continue that conversation by talking about the bigger the base, the higher in space, right. uh, which is a, a, a super popular saying that yep. uh, my friend Louise Yamada, uh, she gets a lot of credit for that. She'll be the first to tell you she learned that from Alan Shaw. Uh, her boss and mentor yep. and I've asked him and he'll tell you he learned it from his boss and mentor uh, that was trading way before him. Yeah. So, you know, these lessons get passed down because, uh, you know, markets evolve, new asset classes are created like cryptos and uh, all sorts of things that didn't exist maybe 50 years ago or 100 years ago. But the one thing that remains the same, Arusha, is what's going on between our ears. It's you yep. and I. Yep. It's human emotion. It's exactly. it's uh, fear and greed, and that's what drives markets. And those images of, of fear and greed playing themselves out, those changes in equilibrium between supply and demand can be seen uh, recurring again and again. They look exactly the same. Yeah, and, 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 and gets back to the point that just keep it simple. You know, don't overcomplicate it because in the end, human nature is the same. You're going to see the same patterns repeating regardless of instrument. It's so funny because, like, I have a great uh, personal indicator when my high school friends yeah. start texting me. Yes. You know, we're probably late in the cycle. Like, I mean, these guys were like, I haven't spoken to some of these in years. And some of these guys are like, hey, JC, which cryptocurrency yep. do I buy? <laughs> right? It's not like, oh, hey, should I invest in cryptocurrencies? Right. It's which ones? Right? 20, let like me guess. The, end of oh, 2017. You're, you're still to get this. <laughs> yeah, obviously. At like 1 o'clock in the morning. Right? right. Like, no. <laughs> do yourself a favor. Don't do whatever you think you're about to do. Um, and then and then they do anyway. And then I'm like, I hope you didn't, you know, I hope you listen. He's like, oh, no, it's fine. It's not a trade. It's an investment. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, well, uh, a lot of times when you buy in emotions, you end up uh, becoming a long-term investor the hard way. Oh, you, it, you're, you're buying a stock because of a MACD crossover. Next thing you know, you're listening to conference calls and uh, <laughs> weigh, weighing in on uh, income statements. So true. Let's get into interest rates, and, and we'll take a look at the, the TLT and the, the BND. So for me, I, I mean – we were bullish interest rates, right? Fig figuring interest rates are going to go higher. Bonds are going to come off. That's good for stocks, right? Mm -hmm. That was really right. the thesis, uh, you know, in the second half of last year. That worked out uh, well, right. right? We figured that uh, interest rates going up was more of like a, a risk on sort of signal bonds coming off. Like that, that was sort of the thesis. Now we started to see more evidence suggesting the opposite, right? Copper is breaking down relative to gold, right? So the copper gold ratio looks exactly like U.S. 10-year yields rolling over. Look at regional banks versus real estate investment trusts, you know, REIT, uh, uh, KRE versus IYR. That ratio looks exactly like U.S. 10-year yields, also rolling over. So, and it, you know, 30-year yields already making new lows. Uh, BND, right, which is the, the bond fund, making mm -hmm. new highs. So to me, I'm looking at those lows in the U.S. 10-year yield going, you know, the, over the past decade, and we've already tested that level three, four times now, and the more times a level is tested, right. to me, the higher the likelihood that it breaks. And if interest rates are breaking down to new lows in the U.S., that's probably also happening globally. Bonds are ripping. 
can't imagine stocks doing too well in that environment. So one trade that I like very, very much uh, is U.S. Treasury bonds. I like the TLT if we are above 138.50. So that's okay. my level of support. $138.50. If we are above that, I like it long with a target of 153. If we are not above 138 and a half, I don't think that we can own bonds. Uh, I think the risk is lower. So that's really the risk reward for me. And then I think that rates themselves are at best uh, stuck in a hot mess of a range uh, until we're able to clear 2.07 to the upside mm -hmm. on US 10s. And I just don't see that happening anytime soon. So at the very least, I think the interest rates in the bond market are a hot mess. Uh, I'd rather be buying bonds and selling them right now. And, and so the TLTs right now are around 142. So so that's something to keep in mind there. Uh, let's go uh, and pull up the ETF IHI. And, and let's go over uh, what you like about uh, this ETF. Well, I, I don't necessarily know that I like it. I, I The thing is with IHI is that it's it's medical equipment, right? right? So on paper, they're healthcare stocks. But, you know, if you look at as many charts as I do, Arusha, uh, uh, IHI, which is the medical equipment index ETF, looks nothing like the rest of the healthcare stocks. That's it looks true. nothing like biotechs, nothing like pharma, right? It doesn't, you know, it's a tech, they're tech stocks. It looks like tech That's stock. why they yep. look like tech stocks. Yep. <laughs> you know? exactly. So for me, I think that's the bigger thing. I think if you're going to be in medical equipment, I think that you need to be looking at technology as a group. Uh, I like look at XLK, uh, which is the technology index just achieved our upside target, uh, which is the 161.8% extension of okay. the entire tech bubble crash. So that's a really important level. This 99 to 100 area in the XLK if we're below that, I think tech in general is going to struggle. And I hate to, you know, burst your bubble about the uh, the people at Standard and Poor's or whoever makes these indexes. But <laughs> these uh, medical device stocks are, are tech stocks. They're not they're not healthcare stocks. That, that's true, <laughs> and they are definitely trending uh, like uh, tech stocks there. And uh, let, let's also get into the semiconductors, and and we can pull up the the SOX index too. And what, and what are you seeing with this? So you want to know something, Arusha? I mean, it's literally the exact same thing. Yep. When you look at, when I talk about the 161.8% extension of the entire tech bubble crash just being achieved, we could say the exact same thing about the semiconductor index from the high in the tech bubble all the way down to the bottom in 2008, 2009. The 161.8% extension of that was just hit. Meanwhile, semiconductors look exactly like Taiwan, right? Look up an ETF of Taiwan, EWT, overlay the semiconductor index, the SOX, and they literally trade in sync, uh, you know, tick, tick for tick. And uh, Taiwan is potentially putting in a failed breakout. So if you're interested in technology, if you're interested in semiconductors, I would be looking at these extension levels from the bubble highs down to the lows. And I would be looking at that $39 to $40 level in EWT, which is the Taiwan index, which moves with semiconductors. So if we're below those levels, I think a more neutral cash heavy position is best. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think for the time being, that is best. I think we have plenty of examples to show us why I laid out a, a four indexes and key levels that we want to watch. If we're below that, I think being smaller makes more sense. Not until we're able to finally break out above all those levels do I want to be much more aggressive again to the long side? So that's how I see it, Arusha. Yeah. I hope that was able to answer your question uh, the long the long way. No, that, that that was good. Yeah, and in the end, I think the the biggest thing is you know be patient. Let the ETF prove itself again before you put your hard money to work. Yeah, no question. And um, you know we we've had a heck of a run. I mean, listen, uh, if you caught me, that's... anything I wrote, any podcast I did, or TV, or any media appearance. 
Um, you know, I've been super, super bullish, uh, you know, as long as I can remember, six, seven months at least. So for right now, you know, it's time to pull. You know, we, we got a big move, Arusha. Yeah, no, yeah. We got it, a big move. It, so it, I'm okay uh, taking profits, heavy cash. I got no problem with that for right now. That's perfect. So there are a few ideas that are worth looking into. Thanks, JC, for joining us today. Happy to do it. Anytime. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Next week, we are going to have Gordon Owens. He is also a charter market technician and the founder of the Owens Group at Baird. And so that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.